0: good morning everyone man isn't it a glorious morning turn to your neighbor and say you're still funny looking but God loves you Amen Well, this morning I want to continue my series entitled Supernatural, and God did some incredible things last week. God is up to something big in this place, and we want to welcome everyone who's in the cafe, and we want to welcome everyone who's watching this live stream. Uh, We appreciate you tuning in with us, and we pray God's spirit would be upon you, and yet you would hear what God has for you today. I want to pray for everyone in this room today. Now I want to tell you that when we talk about the supernatural, the spiritual, we actually absolutely need to be in line with what God wants to to say to us and we need to hear it from our hearts. So I I want your ears to be open, I want your hearts to be open to what God wants to say today. So let's pray together, all bow our heads and let's ask the Lord's blessing today. Father, we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you for your Holy Spirit We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we go not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, in the power of the Lord, and in his mighty, mighty authority that comes through the word of God. I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. I come against every force of darkness in the name of Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that our ears would be open, Lord, to your will for our life. God, help us to put on the full armor of God help us to understand who we are in Christ and help us to live out a righteous life in the power of your spirit and everyone said now this morning as I continue to talk about the supernatural world or or understanding how to tap into the spiritual world we we need to understand so far that every day of our life the physical world and the spiritual world they collide And what happens in the spiritual world affects what happens in your natural world. And last week, we talked about the devil and demons, and we we uncovered the darkness. Today, we want to talk about how do we overcome the darkness. Listen to me. Look at me. God has created you to be more than a conqueror. I said God has created you to be more than a conqueror. God intends every single believer to live in victory over sin. God intends every believer to know who they are in Christ Jesus. God intends every believer to know that they're the head, they're not the tail, they're blessed going in and they're blessed going out and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God has intended you to be more than a conqueror. Come on somebody say amen. Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now I want to tell you that the armor when we talk about the armor we have a breastplate but the truth is there's nothing on the back of the breastplate. Why? Because God doesn't want you to run from the enemy. The Bible says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why? Because the church should be on the offensive not the defense of somebody help me out and say amen. That we need to push back the darkness in our prayers, in our intercessions. When we preach the gospel, when we're proclaiming the gospel, the Bible says those that are in the heavenlies, they're hearing the gospel, and we're pushing back the darkness. Somebody say, I want to push back the darkness. Now that doesn't mean that, that the enemy is not going to persecute us. In fact, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And Jesus said, some of you are going to give up give up your very life for the gospel and millions of people have given their lives for the gospel why because Jesus is not talking about just this world but he's talking about us storing our treasures in heaven where no one can break in no thief can rob steal or destroy and the truth is in the spiritual realm we are exposing the darkness we are pushing back the darkness in the spiritual realm we set the captive free come on somebody say amen in the spiritual realm we are chosen generations we are a chosen people a royal priesthood we are chosen people that are called by God to proclaim the good things of God and when we do that we pull down strongholds somebody say amen millions of people have given their lives for the gospel but they were a chosen generation they were a royal priesthood and they were loved by God and God wrote their names in the Lamb's Book of Life I love what Paul the Apostle says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 turn with me to 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 he said the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God for we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves or servants of the most high God. Of servants of Jesus himself for his sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We've got this treasure in jars of clay. So that what? So that we can show the world so that even the the, the world beyond this world, the the spiritual world, can see that the power that comes in us and that the power that is working for us is actually not of our own, but it's of God. Somebody say amen. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not of ourselves. We are, he said, hard-pressed on every side. How many of you feel like you've been hard-pressed on every side? We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned by God. Listen, we fight this fight, but we don't fight it alone. Somebody say amen. We are even struck down, but we're never destroyed. We're always carrying around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be revealed in you, Paul the apostle says. And the Bible also says in Corinthians, it says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in trouble, in hardship and distresses, in beating, imprisonment and riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, in understanding, in patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in the truthful speech and in the power of God with the weapons of righteousness in our right hand and the weapons of righteousness in our left hand through glory in heaven and dishonor on earth in bad report on earth, and good report in heaven. That's the spiritual world. The the world that is before us and the spiritual world colliding together, genuine in God's sight, yet regarded as impostors in the sight of men. Known in heaven and known in hell, yet regarded as unknown on earth. Dying physically and yet living in the spirit. Beaten and persecuted in this world, yet not killed in the spiritual world, sorrowful in this world, yet always rejoicing because our name has been written in heaven, poor by the standards of this world, yet making many rich in God's kingdom, having nothing right now, and yet possessing everything that lasts forever. Somebody say amen. Amen. The two worlds colliding together. And Paul was an overcomer, even though he was beheaded, he was still an overcomer. The devil thought he won, but, but the truth is Paul the Apostle won. Why? Because the devil tried to silence him, and today we're reading the epistles of Paul. Come on somebody, you cannot keep the word of God down. It's alive, and the Bible says it's sharper than any uh, two-edged sword, and it pierces the heart of every person that comes to the light. You see, you can't keep the Bible down, you can't keep the promises of God down, and the 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 devil thought that he was killing Paul, but really what he was doing was making Paul a martyr. And the martyr, the blood of the martyrs are the seedbed of the gospel that's gone out into all the world. You can't kill us. Why? Because we live of another world. Somebody say amen. Amen. Two worlds, the spiritual world and the physical world. And Paul lived with a passion to drive back the darkness. Paul tells you and I. That God has not left us to our own devices. That God has not left us to fend for ourselves. That God has not left us at the mercy of the enemy. But God has given us everything that we need to overcome the enemy in our life. The Bible says that God has given us by his precious promises everything that we need to live the life that God called us to live. And that victory is over the darkness. And Paul gives us the secret of living in victory and over every force of darkness in this world and in the spiritual world. Listen to me. Number one, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Look with me if you would. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul the apostle gives us a whole bunch of things that we ought to do in Ephesians, good things. He said, be, be the light, not the darkness. He said, he said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He said, put on Christ. He gives us all these things, but then at the end he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, number one, he said, finally be strong in the Lord. Friend, I want you to know that your strength doesn't come from your wisdom. It doesn't come from your natural human abilities. We're talking about a spiritual war. And Paul the Apostle says, God has not left you. He has not left you at the mercy of your enemy, but he has given you the power that comes from him. So Paul the Apostle says, don't be strong in your own wisdom. Don't be strong in your own might. Don't be strong in the flesh. He said, he said I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, don't be weak. Don't be afraid. Don't live in defeat. Don't allow the devil to push you around. Don't allow the devil to use his tactics and his schemes against you, but be strong in the Lord. He said, be strong in your convictions. Be strong in your marriage. Be strong in your prayer life. Be strong in your word life. Be strong in your witness. He said, it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to know that they're not the tail, but that they're head. And greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. He said, and your source of power comes from God. He says, never forget, your source of power comes from God. It's not in yourself. It's not by might. It's not by power, he said, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So we find our strength in the Lord. We find our strength in God. We find our confidence in God's word. We find our strength in God's wisdom. Listen to me. Paul the apostle said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My friend, God calls us to find our strength, no matter what we're going through in our life, in the Lord. I'm reminded of David. David goes out to war, and while he's actually out to war, another army comes, and they invade the city of Ziglag, where his men were and where his families were. The children were. And the Bible says that they take over Ziglag and they steal. They capture all of his wives and children and all of his men's wives and children. And they burn the city down. And here's David coming back from war. And he sees that Ziglag is up in smoke. And he comes and he falls down and he weeps and he weeps because he sees that they not only desecrated the whole city, but they took everything with them, and they were captive to the people. And David begins to cry out to the Lord. And his men say, we're going to stone David. Let's stone him to death. They were angry. They were angry at their leader because their leader was fooled and tricked. And now their children and their family are held captive. And they're talking about stoning David, their leader. And what does the Bible said? But David found the secret place. David found the prayer closet. The Bible said when David didn't know what to do, when he didn't have the answer, he went into the prayer closet. And the Bible says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. And David found his strength in the Lord. Friend, I'm telling you today, when you're going through the valley, when you're going through confusion in your life, when you don't understand why you keep on getting attacked, I'm telling you to go into the prayer closet and don't come out of the prayer closet until you found your strength in the Lord. Glory to God. When you're weak, God will make you strong. Hallelujah. In fact, Paul the apostle said, to keep me from becoming conceited, you know what conceit is? Conceit is a false picture of what you can do without God. And humility is understanding that you're nothing without God. Friend, we're nothing without God. But when we've got God on our side, there's no weapon that is formed against us that can prosper. Hallelujah. We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. And Paul the apostle said, to keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me a thorn in my flesh. Now, many theologians have argued for years, what was that thorn? Some said sickness. I don't believe it was. Some said it was persecution. I believe it was. And the Bible says that a a messenger of Satan came to torment Paul the apostle. And Paul the apostle said, God, take this thorn away from me. Take this messenger. I believe it was a demonic attack. And every city that Paul went into, he had to confront this demonic attack. Now, you might say, why didn't God just lift that demonic attack? Well, the Bible tells us why. Because he wanted Paul to understand every single day of his life, he was dependent on God. Never forget. Never take your armor off. Never stop praying. Never stop reading the Word. Never stop crying out to God and saying, God, I'm nothing without you. But with you, I can do all things. God, I need your strength strength. And let me tell you, you go into your prayer closet, you get on your face before God and say, God, would you come and fill me? And God will gloriously fill you with His power and His strength. Hallelujah. Because God will never allow you to suffer anything that you cannot handle without His grace and His power. And God says to Paul, the apostle, no, I'm not going to take that thorn away, but my grace is sufficient. Glory to God. God's grace is sufficient for whatever you're facing in your life, even if it's a spiritual force of darkness, I want you to know, God God's grace will get you through the battle glory to God I said God's grace will get you through the battle glory to God God's grace will give you confidence and strength God giving you what you need when you need it even though you don't deserve it that's the grace of God God will never allow you to be defeated glory to God because his grace is sufficient for you Paul goes on to say put on the full armor of God be strong in the Lord You find your strength in God. But he said, then put on the full armor of God. I like that phrase, put on. And I think there's a lot of Christians that that they don't understand that it's a choice that they make to put on the full armor of God. Paul the apostle emphatically said, it's your choice to put on the full armor of God. Listen to me. I, I believe with all my heart that there's a lot of Christians that are getting kicked around by the enemy. And they're succumbing to lust lust of the flesh. They're getting kicked around by the enemy. And they're losing the battle over the flesh. They're losing the battle for their marriages, their family, their homes. They're losing the battle in their mind. And the reason why they're losing the battle in their mind is because they're not making the choice to put on the full armor of God. We get up in the morning and we put our clothes on. And if we're a women, we put makeup on. If you're a man, don't try it. And we get a breakfast bar and we rush out the house and we think we've got everything. Friends, have you forgotten something? that The Bible tells us that we are to put on the armor of God. And David got up early in the morning. Some people say, well, you know, I, I like to pray at night before I go to bed. You know, the reason why you like to pray at night before you go to bed is because you put your head on that pillow and you have visions and dreams. You just fall asleep. But David said, early in the morning will I seek you, O Lord. Why? Because early in the morning, David needed to have his armor on. Friend, Let me tell you something. When I go to bed, I really, you know what, unless my wife's beating me up, I really don't need my armor when I'm sleeping. I need my armor when I'm in this world doing battle. Come on, somebody. And that's why I need to get up in the morning and put my armor on because I'm going to face spiritual forces of darkness every single day of my life. And so what does it mean to put on the armor of God? Does it mean that we have an armor in our closet? Man, you're going to look pretty funny if you look like this dude when you show up to work tomorrow. So what did he mean by putting on the full armor of God? What does it mean to put it on? Well, number one, it means to apply it to your life. It means when Paul the Apostle tells you to pray, you pray. It's a choice that we make. And Paul the Apostle was saying, put on. He's saying, make the choice to pray. When you make the choice to pray, you're putting on your armor. When you make the choice to read the word, you're putting on the armor. Every time you take your Bible out, I want you to remember, that's putting on the armor of God. When you get together and you begin to pray together and you begin to intercede together when you fellowship, that's putting on the armor of God. When you're preaching the gospel, you're putting on the armor of God. It's a choice that we make. And unfortunately, there's too many people that are not making the choice to put on the armor of God. So it's a choice. Putting on the armor of God is actively pursuing spiritual disciplines in our life. Let me say that again. Putting on the armor of God is actively pursuing the disciplines of God. And friend, you're never going to be a victor in your life until you begin to put on the armor of God by actively pursuing the disciplines of God. Prayer, reading the word, and fasting. I know we don't like that, that term fasting, you know cuz fasting is all about denying ourselves and, and in this country we don't deny ourselves we 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 get whatever we want when we want it let me tell you something god is calling us again to fast and pray and when we deny ourselves and we're fasting and we're praying and we're hearing the word and we're disciplining ourselves we're putting on the full armor of god i love what it says in the message translation listen what it says here it says be prepared you're up against a battle far more than you can, can handle on your own. He said, and, and everything that you can within you, he said, take all the help you can get, even the weapons that are issued by God, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be standing on your feet. Truth and righteousness, peace and faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them to your life. There it is. So putting on the full armor of God is making it applicable in your life. Applying these things to your life. Making a choice to do these things. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying we've got to decide to put on truth. We've got to decide to put on righteousness. Come on, switch me over. We've got to, to, to decide to make sure that we take the sword of the Spirit and we use... We need... Hello? And so we decide to put these things on. We take up the shield of faith. We use the weapons that God has given us. And that's the way that we put it on. But let me be honest with you. I'm sorry to say there's too many lazy Christians in the church. We're lazy. And the reason why we're getting kicked around all over the place is because we're spiritually lazy. You must pursue truth. If you don't pursue truth, if you don't search out truth, if you don't take the time to learn truth, you're never going to win against the enemy. Why? Because Paul the Apostle tells us, that not only do we have to put on our armor, but we have to put on the full armor of God. You can't pick and choose. I know some people are like, well, I like to read the word, but I really don't like to pray. I like to pray. I like to worship, but I don't like to fast. You can't pick and choose. Let me ask you a question. Which part of the armor do you want to go into battle without? Do you want to leave your sword home? You want to leave your word home? How about your breastplate? You want to leave the breastplate home? See, Paul the apostle says, be sure that you're putting on the full armor of God. Why? Because the enemy is going to find the place where you're weak, and he's going to hit you right where you're weak. And so Paul says, number one, he says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. Why is the belt of truth so important? I believe that Paul listed the belt of truth as the number one thing or the first thing. Why? Why? Because the truth is everything that you know, everything that you believe is based on truth. The Bible says Jesus came and we saw him and he was full of glory. He was full of grace and truth. And everything in this life is about lies and truth. The devil is a liar and he wants to deceive you and he's gonna get you to believe half-truths. He's gonna get you to believe false doctrines. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. There are more religious people that will be in hell than anyone else on the face of this earth. Why? Because the devil is really good at manipulating religion, and he'll get you to believe a truth, and he'll get you to believe that you're okay, that you believe the truth. But let me tell you something. Jesus was not an angel like the Jehovah Witnesses say, and Jesus was not Lucifer's brother, just like the Mormons say. Jesus was the son of God. He was God Almighty and he's coming again and the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's God he is uh, glorious he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and friends let me tell you something you need to know the truth you need to search for the truth you need to be diligent in the truth why because the enemy is going to try to do everything he can to deceive you it'll look good it'll look nice it'll look spiritual it'll look Christian but it's not And that's why you need to permeate your heart. You need to be a searcher of truth. You need to diligently search out wisdom. As the Bible says in Proverbs, that we are to diligently seek the truth, know the truth. And that truth will be your belt. Why? Because the belt held everything else up on the armor. The soldier would never go without his belt. Why? Because his belt held his sword. And when the soldier had to run hard, he would take his his tunic and he would put it in his belt and he would run hard. When he had to fight, he would put his tunic in his belt and he would fight. Friends, don't go anywhere without the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will cause you to live in freedom. We must be great pursuers of truth. Now, we're not going to get through the whole armor today, but I want to give you the second piece of armor. And this is my favorite piece of the armor. Paul the apostle says, put on the belt of truth, he said, and then make sure that the breastplate of righteousness is firmly in place. Now, I'm going to tell you, Paul never said to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He never said, take the breastplate of righteousness and put it on. You know why? Because you can't put on the righteousness of God. You can't take that breastplate and put it on. Somebody else had to do it for you. God himself did it for you. When he sent his son into this world, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave you his righteousness. Come on, somebody. The breastplate of righteousness is a gift from God. And God, when you're saved, when you're born again, when you've come into the kingdom of God, God took that breastplate and he put it on you. And he says, now you better make sure that you understand what that breastplate is all about. You make sure that it's on the right place. Why? Because the breastplate always protects the heart. And at the heart of the gospel is the righteousness of Christ that was imputed and imparted to us by himself and him alone. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so we need to make sure that the breastplate of righteousness is on. I want to ask you a question. Do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And if you do, what is it based on? What is it based on? I ask a lot of people. If you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? And and you know what most people tell me? I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. And see, they're depending upon their own righteousness. But David declared, listen what he said in Psalms 5.8. He said, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. There it is, spiritual warfare. Before he even understood the gospel, David says, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Not in my own righteousness, but in your righteousness because of my enemies. And so what is the righteousness of God? What is the the breastplate of righteousness? Well, obviously, the soldier used to take the breastplate and put it on. But here we find someone else putting it on for us, and that is God himself. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the state or quality of being right, being right before God, that which renders one acceptable to God and approved by him who now sees that person as perfect, and he is in line with the very character and holiness of God. Righteousness is acting in accordance with the divine and moral law of God, being free from guilt that comes from sin, and being right before God. Here's the problem. The problem is the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's not one righteous person, not one righteous person in this world. Why? Because we all sin and we fall short of the divine moral code of God. All have sinned. Every one of us in this room, we have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And so the problem is we all have sinned. And Satan's goal is to attack us when it comes to righteousness and unrighteousness. You see, what's the enemy's uh, strategy against us when it comes to righteousness? Satan is the enemy of righteousness. Acts chapter 13, verse 10. He is the, 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 the devil himself, the Bible says, is the enemy of righteousness. Satan wants to enslave people in unrighteousness. Why? Because righteousness glorifies God. Righteousness is a reflection of who God is and he wants to enslave people in sin because unrighteousness obviously is the opposite of what a reflection of who God is, his character, his nature really is. But listen to me. I believe the number one way the enemy uses righteousness and unrighteous in our life is to make us feel condemned, guilty, and make us feel like we never, ever measure up to God's standard. He comes to us and he condemns us. You see, the devil works overtime to make us feel unworthy, to make us feel unholy, to make us fearful in the presence of God, to make us feel like we're distant from God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you in this room, you struggle with your past? Let me see your hands. How many of you feel guilty over your past sins? Let me see your hands. Some of us in this room, we feel guilty because of the things we did. Before we were Christians or while we were Christians. How many of us in this room, we feel unworthy at times to approach a holy God? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Lift up your hands. We just don't feel holy enough in the presence of God. How many of us this morning, we struggle with a poor self-image? Let me see your hands. We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to say no to people because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection in our life. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't ever measure up to the holiness of God. How many of you struggle because there are times when you feel like you're just not good enough for God? Let me see your hands. Yes. There's so many of us in this room. We struggle with a feeling that we could never measure up to the standards of God. We're not good enough. Never, never good enough for God. It's not good enough. We're never holy enough and we're always trying harder, but we're burning ourselves out trying to be righteous in our own strength. And Satan wants to always make us doubt our righteousness in Christ and that our righteousness in Christ is enough. There are many Christians, they come to the altar and they give their lives to the Lord. And they know that eternal life is a free gift from God. And yet even though they know that eternal life is a free gift, and they know that somehow they're going to get to heaven, they still believe that somehow now I have to be good enough on my own. Yet Jesus died on the cross and He gave me the free gift of salvation, eternal life. But now I have to be holy in my own strength. Now I've got to pray more. Now I've got to fast more. Now I've got to read the word. Friend, I didn't tell you to pray because God's going to love you more if you pray. God's going to love you just because He loves you, glory to God. I didn't tell you to read the word so that you can get God to be pleased with you. I didn't tell you to, to intercede and fast so that God could be pleased with you. I'm telling you to do those things because the enemy is going to kick you around. But I want you to know God loves you just the way you are. And you can't get God to love you anymore because of his son, Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But Satan wants us to doubt that the righteousness that we receive from Christ is enough And Satan wants us to place our righteousness in something besides Jesus. That's the devil's strategy. Self-righteousness. Friend, let me tell you, that is more diabolical than than being a person who just says, I don't believe in God and I'm going to do whatever I want. Self-righteousness. This world is filled with people that have been taught all their life. Maybe they've gone to a legalistic church. Maybe you've gone to a holiness church. Let me tell you something. There are no faith churches. There are no holiness churches. There are no word churches. There's one church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus and you have his righteousness, then you have all those things in your life. Come on, somebody. Say amen. But we were beaten over our head, telling, telling us that we had to be better. We had to do more. We had to pay penance. We had to pray more in order for God to love us more, in order for us to get a better place in heaven. That's self-righteousness. And Satan's accusations come in disguise. And and what it is, is this disguise in which Satan says, listen, you're doing good. You're succeeding or you're failing. And most of the time, he will come and say for a little while, you're doing good. And then he says, no, we're going to up the ante a little bit more. Now you're not doing as good as you were doing. And he's going to make you feel guilty and condemned. He's going to make you feel like you never measure up to God's standard in your life. Self-righteousness works performed by sacrifice it's a life that is based on performance if i can do this god will love me more if i don't do that god will love me more it can even be a self-righteousness in good things a self-righteousness in hard work i work hard for the church and therefore i deserve god's mercy and love in my life morality Bible reading, prayer. You see, when we do these things in the flesh, it's never operating by grace. You either perform and you perform well, and when you perform well, you feel accepted. And when you fail to perform the way that you should perform, you feel rejected by God. If I succeed in my righteousness, then I am accepted by God. The devil whispers in our ear, that's success. And if I fail in my righteousness, then I'm rejected, worthless, unholy, and unloved by God. The devil whispers in our ear, Feel, failure. So how do we respond to the devil's attack when he questions in our heart and in our mind, when he throws the fiery dart? of being sure who we are before God, how do we fight against these accusations? We stand, look at me, we stand in the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed and imparted to us because of what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. I take on myself every sin, every stain, all immorality. I take it upon myself, God. And now I say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, it is finished. I bore their sin so that they might have eternal life. You see, here's the key. The breastplate of righteousness. When Jesus died, he imputed upon us his righteousness. The Father has imputed Jesus' righteousness to us by faith. It's, it's his breastplate. It's not our breastplate. It's been given to us by God. It's His armor. It's alien to us. That's why it has to come from someone else. Why? Because, friend, you could never be worthy enough. You could never be holy enough to get to heaven. If you were holy enough and worthy enough to get to heaven, then Jesus was a fool for dying on the cross and so the next time the devil whispers in your ear and tells you you're not living up to the standard remind him no i'm not but jesus did glory to god hallelujah i can't live up to the standard i'm not holy enough i'm not good enough it's not an excuse to sin it's not an excuse to do whatever you want it's just telling the devil i can't do it by myself but i have received the righteousness of christ i am complete in god today glory to god john piper calls it the great exchange imputation versus impartation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I love this, verse 21. Listen what it says. Look at me, look at me. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow! I want you to mark that up. He said, in him, Christ... He became sin for us. He became a curse on the tree so that we might become, listen to me, so we might become the righteousness of Christ, not just simply forgiven. See, some of us, we believe we were just simply forgiven, but we're still sinners. I remember some guy said, we're sinners saved by grace. I said, no, we're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints saved by the blood of Jesus. And now we are the righteousness of Christ. Come on, somebody. Say amen. When God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, because we have the breastplate. We are in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Glory to God. No condemnation because of we are finding our righteousness in Christ. The positive and negative exchange in the gospel. Negative. Our sins were imputed to Jesus on the cross. Christ became sin. Christ bore the curse of the law for us. Positive. His righteousness was imparted to us. Romans 4.5. Faith in Christ is credited as righteousness to us. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Christ is our righteousness. Romans 3.21. God is just and the justifier declared righteous of the one who believes in Jesus Philippians 3:9 the righteousness of God that became ours through faith in Jesus Christ Romans 4:25 Christ was raised for our righteousness or our justifications. Romans 8.1, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the though the law was powerless and what the law could not do, Christ did by dying on the cross for us. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. No condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.13. Unrighteousness, forgiven. Having been canceled at the cross and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us of all of our trespasses, all of our trespasses, present and past, God is at work in forgiving us. And by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. Paul, the apostle said that the devil was accusing you. He is the great accuser of the brethren, and he stands to accuse you, but you can say, devil, my sin has been nailed to the cross, and my debt has been paid in full. Glory to God. And now Christ has imputed his righteousness upon us, and we must now apply it to our life as we live it out every day. How? Ephesians chapter 4 says, put on the new self which is created in righteousness. Paul the apostle tells us in Timothy, pursue righteousness. Stanley Volk said this, I love this. What a relief it is when we see Jesus at the end of all of this. He is the end of the struggle for righteousness since he not only fulfilled the law for us, but was cursed for us as well. He not only attained our perfection, but atoned for our imperfections. There is nothing more to struggle for. He has done everything for us. And God asks nothing from us now, but our repentance and our full trust in faith in Christ alone. Conclusion. Live in the righteousness of Christ that has already been given to you through what Christ did on the cross. Through your union with him, by his grace, you are completely accepted in the beloved. He is your surety and your acceptance and your rest in him as you stand alone, not in what you can do, but what he already did. As John Piper declares, Resist firmly, O struggling warrior. The lies of Satan, that there is no more to be done before you, are accepted by God. Rest quietly, O struggling sinner, in the imputed righteousness of Christ. Repent freely, O struggling saint, because your room has been cleaned and your Father gives you greater grace. Walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Christ, will cleanse you of all sins. Rejoice greatly, O struggling people of God, for your Savior Jesus Christ is your righteousness. As I close, watch this.